gonna go live. I'm gonna go live because it's show time. All right, all right. It's that time. Um so so yeah, guys, like like we had mentioned before, uh DJ number one rebellious podcast fan. This dude yesterday was already in the comments. And as we were sitting here talking about him, he pops up with another comment that he's still here. Pretty sure that means he gets an episode named after him. So, yeah, we're going to we might have to do like a a number one fan episode or something because DJ (laughs) definitely takes the cake there, man. Yeah, Yeah. Settle down, killer. Settle down. We got Matt. Matt's treasures up in the house. What's up? What's up? Uh, Sean's here, but looks like he dipped out for a second. Um, so yeah, guys, welcome. Uh, Beans, Beans is using this uh, being sick COVID excuse for like the fifteenth time. Oh, it's gonna and uh, so we're rolling without Beans tonight, but um. Yeah, so we did a we did an episode a while back early on in the rebellious podcast days uh, with uh, some people from the Fix Chat, which is an addiction recovery uh, chat that we have in the Bearded Rebellion Beard Club. And Eric shot me a message uh, and said, uh, "Hey, let's do it again." I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." So, so yeah, thanks, Eric. Yeah, fuck yeah, bro. Uh, well, we had a lot of fun doing it last year with you, so. Yeah, yeah, and I always, I like, uh, you know, always like having the club stuff, club chat stuff, you know, on the podcast, so. And then we also have Nick and Sean joining us. What's up, guys? What's up? Welcome, welcome. Everybody else who's tuning in, Russ, what's happening? Scott. Uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna get this uh, intro out the way, and then we're gonna we're gonna get into this. Uh, if I can find it, let's see here. All right. Yeah. Rebellious podcast. The fix. Part two. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Why can't I get this? Thing? I gotta say, I love that intro still. Shout out to um, to Wolf. Um, his link is at the bottom of the description for intro. Um, he submitted that song, and uh, it's one of his original songs, and he's letting us use it. And uh, so there's a link for him in the description next to intro. Um, so you guys can check out his page and his music and everything else. Um, yeah, I like that one a lot better than the last one. The last one was just kind of like a, uh, it was part of the program that I used to create the intro or whatever. You know, you could just add a song. So it was yeah. 
generic, but this one is made by a club member and so. which makes it all the better. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. Um we're trying to get, still trying to get, you know, uh everybody in the musician chat to come together to make an aw- more awesome intro. Oh, that um, yeah, like you know, if we could get Maestro on the keys and and Wolf on the guitar and you know so and so on the drums and you know just everybody work together to come up with and I don't know we've been talking about it for a while maybe one day. Yeah, let's, let's, sounds like it'd be fucking lit. Yeah, hell yeah! Oh, there it is. Okay, cool. I'm trying to get this up on my phone too. Oh man. So here we are talking about addiction again. Um, I don't have to pick up my dad with this flat tire this year. Uh, I was thinking about this all day before we got started that, you know, and honestly, my memory sucks. You know, so like if we repeat, if I repeat anything that we talked about the last episode, that's on me because I just, my memory shit, but, um, I just had the biggest addictive personality, period. Um, it was that way when I was uh, addicted to drugs. And and it, it still carries over into, like, playing games or fucking beard oil or just... I mean, like everything I just do in excess, man, so much, you know what I mean? And get carried away with it. And I don't know. Is is it like that for any of you guys? Uh, especially with the beard oil. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, actually getting, because I'm so bad with the beard oil addiction right now, I have, I'm getting a shelf custom made because I don't have enough room in my bathroom cabinets anymore. Oh. I had five shelves made. I'll get there. I'll get there. Yeah, I have over like 40 bottles right now. Yeah. You know, I, I know for me, though, like even way before I ever touched drugs, like, you know, books, video games, food. It was like going all the way back to like five, six years old. I remember this one time I like I was so obsessed with playing my Game Boy. I was like six years old and I stole a bunch of batteries because I, I didn't want to keep asking my parents for batteries when it died. And like... I just played it if I wasn't at school. If I wasn't at school, it was like 12 hours a day. I'd just be on that thing. Even like now that I was after addiction, uh, it goes into work. I'm a workaholic now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women, I get addicted to those. Uh, It could be tea, coffee, you name it, man. Once I put down one substance, it seems to switch to something else. Nowadays, I just try to have better problems. You know, I'm addicted to work, so I'm making more money. But the trick is to find a balance. And I'm not there yet to where I've balanced everything the way I would like. But it's a lot better than where I was just four or five months ago. Especially with the addiction side of getting drugs out of my life. As long as I I don't pick up today, whatever I mess up, I have a chance to fix it tomorrow. There's so long I don't pick up that drink. That's what's important. Yeah. Yeah, it's an ongoing battle for sure. Yeah, it's always, always progressing. You know, always that balance. I'm always trying to find it. 
Yeah. I always, I always feel the need just for something, you know, and it's whether it's just like candy or caffeine or I mean, you know, I don't know. It's just something, you know, and I hate like replacing something with something else, but you know, if it's healthier and better for you in the long run, I guess. Yeah. And it's also like everything's always all for nothing on top of like the, the everyday addictions. Like yesterday, I'm, I'm uh, like the, the, I went out because I had to get bananas and I saw that Red Baron frozen pizza and I'm alone all day. After. So of course I grab it and I go home and I eat the entire freaking pizza in like 10 minutes because I can't just have a couple slices. I have to eat the whole damn thing. That's the way it was back back in the day too, you know, when I was drinking and, and running the streets, you know, it was always always more or less everything in sight. Even the first time I partied. Yeah. So that was your thing was drinking or a little bit of everything? I was garbage head. It was drinking, drugs. The the only drug I didn't really do was meth. I did. I mean, there's also some new drugs that like, you know, the kids are doing now and I've never heard of that just got invented in a lab in the past decade. Yeah. Yeah. The new school stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, 15 started drinking, never stopped till 20. Yeah. I drank, I drank a lot. That was, uh, but you know, it was mixed with everything else too. And Mm -hmm. you know, um, but now I can't, I, I, I can't even drink. You know, like I'm just very social drinker now, you know, and that's it. I have liquor and alcohol here that has been here forever. But if somebody comes over, I have some drinks, you know, or something like that. But, but you know, back in the day, it was just smashing to get smashed and doing everything in sight. And young and dumb, young and dumb. What about you guys, Sean? If you don't mind sharing. I've barely drank. I've been clean eleven and a half years. Nice. And it's amazing. <laughs> I love it, but like you said, there's always an addiction. My caffeine addiction is crazy. I'm near a Starbucks, I'm going to it. <laughs> well, I, I I was doing like I was drinking like five or six rock stars a day and then I'm like all right, this is just way too much sugar and junk or whatever. So then I started taking caffeine pills instead, you know, and (laughs) so, you know, I could sit there and easily take 800 milligrams of caffeine just while I'm at work while drinking coffee and energy drinks. And for what? I don't get energy off it. Yeah. But, you know. That was me. Like when I got sober, my thing immediately became coffee, energy drinks. Uh, there was this one point where, uh, like, the worst I got with the energy drinks, I think it was like three, four years ago. I was drinking like six to ten Red Bulls or Monsters every day, and I was drinking like ten cups of coffee in between those Monsters and Red Bulls. And after like six months of that, 
my mouth started to hurt. So I go to the doctor. He's like, yeah, you've gotten 11 cavities in the past six months. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I can't really get away with telling you I don't have a lot of energy drinks, can I? And he was like, no. Unless you're rubbing Coke on your gums, that's about the only other thing that'll do yeah, it's a lot of sugar. I know I know when I was uh like popping pills, like that was that was like my only concern. So not like I personally neglected my personal health and 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 hygiene and stuff too. So my teeth aren't the best and and I'm sure it did damage to my kidneys, which in long run, you know, just everything and I looking at some old pictures of myself is just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Have have any of you guys ever like that? Let's say there's a God size hole inside of us. Have you all got to the point to where you feel satisfied in any of your addictions where we transplant one for another, whatever it was, do you ever get to a place to where, okay, I've gotten my feel. No, I'm always trying to get there. I never succeed back in the day. Yeah, what about the next one? You know, the only thing that the only thing that I've found, and I've just recently found it in recovery, is once I the last time I was clean and sober, I made it to the twelve steps and I started sponsoring guys, and that that seeing the light come on inside somebody else that did something to my spirit, man. I I believe that it filled that god sized hole that I was trying to place drugs and alcohol and everything else in the world, the outside things in that hole. I just was never going to feel it. But when I was able to help somebody else and get them through some of the same things I'd been through and see that light come on in them, I think that a lot with that, with that God size hole. Right? I say it filled, it filled up completely. No, I, I, I'm not perfect. I'll fall short every day, but I think that finally got me to a place to where aha, I have a purpose now. And it wasn't yeah. so about trying to fix something that was broken inside of me. I, my concentration was more about, helping somebody else get to the place to where that light would come on to where they mm-hmm. didn't the same condition. Destructive paths that I did in my life, you know, because it didn't just affect my life. It affected everyone's lives that touched mine. I went through like a tornado. We have a book. And, About to say the, the tornado effect. Like a tornado ripping their world apart, man. And, and when I stop doing that, when I make the amends from my past and I start doing some steamful shit, like get that self-esteem back, then I'm not needing it through drugs, through alcohol, through women, through caffeine. And I think that's the only thing that I've ever been able to find to get me to that level. And like I said, I'll fall short, man. But as long as I don't drink and drug today, I have a chance of fixing my mistakes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's important. That's, yeah, that's huge. Feeling that need for something, yeah. I'm a 12-step recovery, too, and like, yeah, that, the, whenever I am, like, it's rare now because I've been completely sober for, like, seven and a half years, and it's rare now that I ever want to, like, use drugs or alcohol anymore. But, like, in those moments where I'm getting that addictive personality coming back, that's kind of what I do, too, is I throw myself at other people. Like, whether it's in the club or, like, I got some friends. Like, you know, I got – I have a fair amount of phone numbers in my phone. I can call her in a person. I can guarantee everybody's got some kind of problem. I just be like, hey, what's pissing you off today? <laughs> and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, some of them are still, you know, active drug addicts that I used to run with, too. And, and I'll talk to them and I'll just be like, yeah, 
things things don't change out there you know in, in those moments of struggle you know, I, I talk to them and it's just you know they're still going in and out of prison and jail and they're still in and out of rehabs and psych wards and you know they're just kind of homeless you know whatever it is and you know shit, shit didn't change out there so you know getting a focus on the right stuff now you know whether it's work or my son or you know just being there for people today it's it's wild wild right yeah this would be a good time eric i don't know that if you realize it or not but like when i relapsed this last time and i had to go back into recovery uh Many times I would come in on the fix, man, and talking to you got me through a lot of nights that I don't know if I would have gotten through, man. So I'll just take this opportunity to say thank you, man. You're there for me, so I know that's good for other people. That's I what I love. Speaking up, man. You know, that, that's the kind of shit that keeps me going now, getting to be there. Now I owe a debt to it, so I try to be there. I want to read it. Well, thank I'm, you. That's... I, I like hearing it. That's one of the, I think this was one of our the first like specialized chats that we created. You know, I, I think um, I think we did like military, LGBTQ, addiction recovery. I think like those were like almost like you know so the 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 first ones, and I'm glad that it's. It's still an active chat. More people are coming in. More people are sharing their stories. More people are there for one another. And that's exactly like what I wanted to see. You know what yeah. I mean? From the chat. Yeah, the chat, the uh, the fixed chat has evolved from just a, a new chat into like, you know, we're a genuine support group for each other, which is like yeah. fucking lit. Like I, I can go in there any day and I can say something, have people be there for me, or I get to, you know, maybe be there for somebody else. And like, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't always have a place to go to, you know, um, what we all do, um, you know, we're lucky enough to, to be a part of this brotherhood in this club. And, and to have so many people that we can talk to, but to have a sp specific place for, you know, a topic like this, you know, I think it's crucial because so many people have dealt with it in some way, shape or form, you know, whether, it, whether it's drinking or drugs or caffeine or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's easier to talk to like fellow you know, people that have struggled with that addiction or alcoholism, you know, than it is to talk to somebody that hasn't. Cause like, you know, we do some crazy shit. Like I, I go to the, you know, I go to one of my relatives or one of my friends who's never struggled with it. And I tell them some of the stuff that goes on in my head or like some of the things that I did when I was out there and they'll just like, they might never talk to me again because it's some <laughs> wild stuff. And, but I go to, you know, guys in like the fix and it's, it's just like, you know, in, in any recovery fellowships that I've been involved in, you know, it's the guys just know they get it. You know, I haven't seen someone say something yet in the fix where people are just like, oh, dude, what the fuck's wrong with you? No, it's always just like, oh, dude, I've been there. Like, it's a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> We've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
hard to talk to a relative about the struggles of the addiction and everything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. All right. So I've had this argument with somebody else who's not in the chat, not in the fixed chat. Um, several times I've tried explaining it and, uh, you know, I don't know. There's like the whole addiction is a disease debate. Um, I don't know. Boy, where, how do you guys feel about that statement as far as it being a disease or a choice? It's a disease. I, I, I do believe it's a disease. Personally, I, I don't necessarily think it immediately before anybody picks up a drink or a drug starts out that way. I think it starts out just like a genetic predisposition. predisposition. There was a doctor that proved that, I think, in like the 80s or the 70s or something. He found like the gene where people are just some people are predisposed to they pick up, you know, certain substances. Their body just has that uh, that abnormal reaction to it where they just need more all the time. And then their mind gets like fixated on it forever. And it's like, you know, when I was 15 and like I always look at it this way, you know, I, I went to a party just like any other kid in high school does. And. I drank just like everyone else at that party, but nobody else at that party ended up, you know, becoming a drug addict who fucked up their entire life within a span of five years and destroyed everything around them that they touched. You know, everyone else that was at that party, they've all, I watched as they all, you know, they finished high school on time. They went to college or they joined the military or they did this, that, and they all progressed. And then there was me who even right from that night, like I was up till 6 a.m., finishing everybody else's drinks, stealing a cigar from a guy and then, you know, wondering why everyone else is asleep. Like we still got more to drink. We still got more, more fucking weed. We still got more Coke. Like what's going on. And, you know, I didn't, you know, that's why I don't think it's a choice. Cause I didn't choose to do that. I didn't wake up that morning and go, Ooh, I want to become a drug addict tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that we get to a point where we may start off as social drinkers or users. Uh, we cross something like an imaginary line. And yes, there's absolutely a gene that can make you predisposed to what you do good. But here's the thing. Today, for me, I have a choice today because I'm not using it. I have a choice on that first one. Here's how I believe it's easy. Once I put that first drug in me, my mind is no longer with the show. My body doesn't metabolize drugs and alcohol like normal people does. Once I drink or drug, my body takes over. I may have sound reasoning. I got to get up. I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm only this 20 and then that's it. That's my sound thinking. But I've got this insane, this mental obsession that's coupled with a physical allergy. Once I put that drink or drug inside of me, my body takes off. I cannot tell you how long I'm going to be gone. I can't tell you how much I'm going to do, and I can't tell you how much how much time's going to come at the back end of it, man. I, I just can't tell. Once I put that first one in me, the choice is over. My body's running the show, and the disease is set off. And I believe it was 1964 that the Medical Association actually finally deemed it as a disease medically. Okay. There you go. Yeah, it started off, like, for me... It, you know, it was opiates. Um, I had a headache. I had a headache at work one day. 
a lady I work with, um, you know, here, take one of these. And my headache was gone. And I was bouncing off the fucking walls, feeling like a million dollars. And then it was, then it was just like, man, I felt good. What was that? Can I get one? Can I get two? How much for the script? You know, and just, you know, and then, you know, so maybe I could have been fine, you know, just choosing not to do it. But, but then, you know, I think, I think like the whole disease thing is when you, when you have to do it to maintain and live, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? You're not really living, but. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just, just having to do it. Oh, I quit getting high years ago. Oh uh, yeah. There was no more part. Uh, I, I had to do my substance of choice, which I was on heroin for a long time. And I later graduated to methamphetamines to try to get away from the, the opiates and the heroin. But for me, it wasn't party no more. That, that quit five years ago. For me, it was just getting well. I didn't want to be sick anymore. And it took more and more and more. And I had to do more and more crazy things to get the substance. But I was not getting high anymore. I was just getting well. Just to feel normal. Yeah. And I would always like, because I was trying to get clean sober for from like 17 on because I, I was already that bad after two years and uh you know I, I noticed my mind was always tricking me like I, I would tell people like yeah I'm never gonna do this again yeah, I have no idea how many girlfriends in high school and you know my first time in college where I'd just be like oh yeah I'm never gonna do that again never gonna do it again you know because they'd be telling me they want a guy with a future and a plan <laughs> and uh and then later that day I just run into somebody and I'm at a party next thing I know, wondering how I got there. And then I, I just need to keep using to, you know, like you were saying, like maintain and, and just not be sick because I was, and then I would get crazy. You know, I, like I said, I was garbage head. So once people started to catch on that I had a problem with something, I changed to another substance. Oh, yeah. so like it'd be, you know, it'd be alcohol for a couple months where I'm drinking a couple liters of vodka every day. And then someone would call me, you know, a drunk or an alcoholic. I'd be like, oh, no, see, I just do speed. And then I'd be doing a ton, bunch of speed for like a month or two. And then someone would call me out on that. And then I'd just be doing coke or I'd be doing angel dust, chem- ketamine, you know, that, whatever it was. Anything pretty much, like I said, the only thing I never tried was was meth back in the day. And that's only because when I found out a buddy of mine was selling meth, I knew I was either going to go to rehab or I was going to start smoking meth in the next 24 hours. And got into a rehab that was the only reason i never smoked meth there was no like sane thinking for me like i couldn't get my mind to process that these things were destroying me until i had like a considerable length of time away from them you guys have anybody in your family who also battles with addiction like um like, like my dad passed away at uh, 39 years old and um, stress led to drinking and he was able to drink all day, every day. And it was just a fun, he was a, you know, functioning alcoholic, uh, but it it ended up killing them in the long run. Um, I don't see it in my sisters. I don't know if it was just kind of passed on to me 
or whatever the case, but like that's the one person I have in my life. You know what I mean? Do you guys have anybody in your life who's also been down a similar path as you? Yeah, I got it sprinkled through my family. My aunt, she's in recovery too a few years, but my entire childhood, you know, she smoked crack like close to 50 years. And uh, some of my grandparents, you know, they were big drinkers. My mom's always telling me stories. My grandpa, he lived in Norway, and the the only way that uh, he knew how to watch his drink, you know, he brought his dog to the bar with him every time. And the only way he knew to stop was when his dog had too many licks of beer to keep functioning normal. That's when he knew he had to go home because he didn't have his own off switch. Right. Yeah, for me, my, my biological father, who I didn't even meet until I was 16, only made once, he had the whole gambit. Uh, he had psychological problems, he had drug and alcohol problems. But I wasn't even there around him, but still yet, here I am, you know, went down the same exact path, and I can't blame that on what I've seen. It has to be genetic, because I wasn't even in the same house with him. Like in my immediate family, in my immediate household, I'm the only one that went down that dark, dark, dark road, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just recently, like in the last two years, my, my youngest sister, I don't think she'll mind me sharing this, my younger sister, she she secretly, she was a bunch of alcoholic. None of us knew, you know, but behind closed doors, she was drinking. She just celebrated, just two months ago, she celebrated the year clean. And she didn't have to do... Like with me, I have to do a program. I have to run 12-step meetings. I have to figure out, because once I put the drink and the drug down, I'm still left with me. What are the causes and conditions of why Why do I have to drink? You know, I got to get to that root. So I'm going to continually go back out. Trust me, I've seen you do it. <laughs> but with her, she's, she's all on the spiritual side of it. And I'm not talking about going into a church or anything like that, but she's spiritual. She's connected back to source. And she got, she got sober that way through nature, through love, through the rainbow, you know. So that was that's a beautiful thing to sit and watch. But we, we didn't know about it. But as far as in my immediate family, I'm the only one that really, really went down that road. Yeah, mine was mine was my uncle. He was the one that got me started with everything. He was always in and out of prison. Every time he got out, we'd always party, celebrate. Anything he'd hand me, I'd do. And once he passed away, it got real hard for me. I kept constantly using, using. Yep. Yeah. The day my daughter was born, I just quit everything. Yeah, well, the kid, kids will definitely, uh, they'll definitely do that. My, uh, probably during my worst, at, at, at the worst point, um, I lost uh, my best friend at the time, and he uh, he admitted himself into a local um, rehab, and he called me, and he's like, we both had daughters the same age, and he's like, we're going to do this, we're going to do it, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay here, um, we got to do it for our girls, and then... Um, he said he'd call me later that night, and about an hour or two after he was supposed to call me, there was a knock at the door, and, and I thought, oh, great, he left, because that's the type of person he was. He was just off the wall, and uh, and I answered the door, and it was his girlfriend who was telling me that 
more or less after he hung up the phone with me, a, a resident had brought some dope in and and he went to the bathroom and and that was it. Mm. And uh so that's when I made a little bit of a change. I wasn't clean, but I made uh, a step in that direction. And then yeah. um, it was a couple of years later that, you know, I, I was done with it and shit like that's just, it's crazy. You know, like, uh, like losing my dad when he was 39, you know, I'm 40 now. So just imagining me, my age passing away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just it, that blows my mind, um, especially with kids, with my kids that were our age now, and everything else, and then and then, you know, my buddy passing away. Um, I don't know that I could ever do a uh, a rehab facility. Um, I've never taken part in any of uh, the twelve steps, or you know, I. Besides what I see on TV or have heard, I, I really don't know that much about it. Uh, but you guys obviously have gone through programs similar. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seven and a half years in one of the 12 step fellowships. Well, technically, I've been going for a decade, but I'm sober in that fellowship for seven and a half years. Um, but yet, you know, there's because there's different levels to addiction, just like anything else. You know, there's. Like I've seen people who they drank and drugged the exact same way I did. And then one day something just happened where they were like, okay, I can't do that anymore. And then they just drink once in a while and they don't do drugs anymore. And then I've seen people like me who, you know, when, when that happened, that's, I go harder when that happens, when those big situations happen. And that's why I had to end up in the 12 step fellowship, you know, cause, cause for me, you know, it was the last house on the block. The rehabs didn't work. You know, my last rehab, I went in, like I said, you know, because I knew I was going to smoke meth or I was going to get, you know, into a rehab. That was my last one. And I relapsed four months later and I had no plan of relapsing. You know, I, I was con I was committed to being sober the rest of my life. And then like 8 a.m. the morning after I went home from the halfway house after the rehab, like uh, my brother, who was one of my old running buddies, you know, he hit me up. He goes, oh, yeah, me and me and our buddy nearby, they, we want to take you to get breakfast. We're just going to get breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then. One of them was like, yeah, Eric, do you, do you care if we smoke a uh, joint and we just go wait for us? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And then as soon as they lit the joint, I was just like, yeah, let me get one hit. I'll just take one hit. I just, you know, I haven't touched anything in four months. That's the longest I've ever gone. And then I took that because I, I just, you know, those big situations happen. I still end up back at it. And, you know, that was where the the fellowship I'm in, you know, came, came in clutch for me, you know, because that was it's the only place people would still take me. None of my friends wanted to party with me anymore. None of my, you know, they, they were all building lives. Like I said, you know, all the people at that first party, all, all the people I used to hang with, they all kind of disappeared. My, my human interaction was the, I remember the last six months that I was, you know, getting high for nobody wanted to hang out. So I'd go on like Omegle and chat roulette and I'd like get wasted. And then I take off my shirt and I just dance until somebody stayed on long enough for me to get them to talk to me. Cause I was the only people that would talk to me was weirdos on those random chat websites. Hmm. And, you know, then getting into the fellowship, it was like, 
now I'm not just sober. I don't even realize that I'm sober and other people aren't half the time if I'm out and people are drinking or something. Like when I, when I went to uh, the last meetup I went to, you know, there's some going to a couple bars with the guys and I forgot I'm even going to bars. Like I just got my club sodas and we're just hanging out, having a good time. See, for me, I had to, I tried everything else. I tried, I tried being baptized. I tried doing religious approach. I tried going to church. I tried different medicines. I tried different, different ways of doing things. And nothing worked. And I, I, I was introduced to the 12 step program and I called Sonos like in the early 90s. And it didn't happen overnight. But when I would come back into these places, I would see some of the same faces. They have been there for 15 years. They're saying the same stuff. They're still working for them. Uh, there's, there's a line in the book, you know, I follow AA, I mean, I follow Synonymous. I follow, we've got a book that says, there's a line in it that says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed this path. So that was a light bulb to me. I don't know for sure if I have to do, if I have to follow this, maybe there's another way that I could do it. But I mean, once and I follow your path, and it's going to work for me. And, and quite frankly, man, Literally, I'd overdosed over 33 times. 33 times I had, I had to be revived by ambulance in a hospital. That's what I'm talking about the times I fell out in the alleys, friends' houses. That's just being resuscitated by anywhere. And it dawned on me one day, he was talking about kids. You know, I've got four and one on the way. Uh, what would my final story be to them? That your dad's a junkie, that your dad just you know, didn't care. And that, that wasn't going to be my latest. Did, I, did it happen overnight? Me getting sober? No. Have I slipped up several times? But when I come back to these meetings, there again, I see these same faces, and they're saying the same thing. So it's mm-hmm. got to be for them. If it works for them, then I'm gonna. It took a lot to surrender because I would, I would give you 99, but I want to hold on to this one percent of my life. I got this. But until I was able to let go of everything, and this club played a big part of it this time. You know, Beans told me to come on down here. Moved to Bowling Green, where I got my brothers around me. I work with them. There's a great 12-step fellowship down here. I'm in a recovery house uh, down here in Bowling Green that just recently opened, and life is getting good. You know, I've only I've only been sober since October now, but life's getting better. Uh, today, even I sat here and I worked on a four-step right before this podcast. My mm-hmm. oldest son, and I haven't spoken to in years. I send him a message once a week. Hey, hope you're doing all right. Let you know I love you. Hadn't got a response from tonight. I got a response. Hey, Dad, uh, after your podcast, give me a call. Here's my phone number. Hell yeah. That's, that's why I do this. Okay. This would not be possible for this club, 12 step program, God sponsorship. It works. Everybody need it? No. Everybody's recovery is going to be different. Everybody's journey is different. Uh, but if I, can, if I can go to these 12 step programs and it works for me, then I need to continue going for the guy that's going to come in the door like me, that my story might help. If my story helps one person, then it's worth every penny to step up. You know? And then that makes, that makes my past not a loser life. It makes it my greatest asset. I can use it to help someone else. That's why I do what I do. Good shit, dude. I'm happy for you. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that the, this club has brought, you know, uh, that has helped and and that, yeah. 
That's cool. I saw you post something earlier today, you know. Um, yeah. What you know, what is what is the fourth step? The fourth step is where you do a personal inventory. It's like a personal house clean of all the all the resentments you have, all of your sex harms. And what it does is instead of you what it does instead of you blaming the world and pointing your finger at everyone else, it forces you to look at all these things in life that you had a resentment toward and you find your part in it. Because everything that I looked at that I had a resentment I played a part in it to get the ball rolling. Or I held on to the resentment for 20 years that caused me to go drink. And through sponsorship, I'm able to get an honest look at this and find out what makes me tick. Why do I want to go out and drink and drug? And through the fifth step, you sit down with your sponsor and go over all these resentments, all these sex harms, all these things. And you find your partner in the thing. It gets, it gets to the true nature of the disease. Why do I want to go back out and drink? Once I do that, then then I use my fourth step later on when I make my amends process. The people that I harmed in life, I go back and I do my best to make that right. As long as it's not going to cause harm to them or to anyone else, whatever they say I need to do to make it right, then I do. And that balances the scales. So then I can walk with my book truly help. It's not a, it's not coming from a place of ego either. You got to stop that ego down. Uh, for me, ego is easing God out. And the most beautiful thing that I found about this 12-step program is in there it says you find God in your own personal understanding. I don't have to follow the Christian God. I don't have to follow the Catholic God or any other. I can I can use what works for me and have a personal relationship with them. Then I'm never you know, Then I can always have something that I talk to, and it works in my life, man. Like you like you seen today, uh, my son calling me. That's if it wasn't for you guys in this club, my sponsor in these 12 steps. That stuff wouldn't be happening. I'd probably be out there dead right now. I lost, like, I was only out there for two months. I lost 48 pounds in two months. And it's not living good at all. I was I was on death's door uh, when I talked to Beans. You know how Beans says, he says he didn't do anything. Oh, I didn't do nothing. You're done. No, he, he definitely did. And, you know, I'm definitely grateful for this club. Yeah, little acts of kindness mean so much when, when we're, you know, out there in the rough of it, you know, in our cups. That 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 fourth step, yeah, it's, it's massive. That's where I started to see the change too. You know, I did the one, two, and three, and then I got to the four, and that was, you know, I saw my part in those resentments, the fears, the the conduct of my relationships and sex life, and then I saw these patterns that I never saw. Like I didn't think anybody looked at a life that way. And that's not even like, you know, what was crazy to me is this is something that's been going on longer than twelve step fellowships have existed. Like the the moral inventory thing. That's from like thousands of years, like 2000 years ago. That was like, it, it's, there's so many different things that come from so many different places in these fellowships. And, um, you know, like, like you was saying, you know, it, it helped with, you know, sitting down with the guy and saying all the shit I no longer had carried around like to my grave, you know, it was all out. There was no more like shame and remorse over it. And then it helped with like, I got to go back and fix relationships. You know, you mentioned that, that, you know, your son spoke to you tonight, you know, for the first two years that I was sober, I knew I was a father, but I didn't really meet my son. until he was almost two years old. Cause that was the way I was viewed by his mom was I was just dirt bag that she wanted nothing to do with her kid. You know, when she told me I was going to be a dad, she was like, yeah, he's technically probably yours, but you know, if you don't 
you know, whatever. You don't have to do anything. I don't even want child support. I'm, I'm marrying this other guy. He's just going to be the dad. And like when I got sober, I got to fight for that. And now I've had custody since he was two. You know, and he, he's on the other side of my house right now asleep. And, you know, recovery did that for me. I, I, because I, I probably would have never met him if I was still getting high and drinking. You know, my, my boy would have grown up thinking another guy was his dad. Hmm. Also, on the flip side of that, I had to let it happen organically. Um, like I said earlier, I caused a lot of pain to people. And I had to let those people heal. I had to distance myself as I got better. I had to distance myself and let them get better until it's not the phone calls of, hey, daddy's in rehab again. I'm doing good. No, that's done. They've heard that too many times before. I had to show it in my actions, man. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. And what, what I've seen happen in other guys, and Eric probably contested this, is with that 12 step, there's a total psychic change. He, Like you said earlier, he can go inside of a bar because he's spiritually fit to do so. That's mm-hmm. where I want to get to i'm not there yet i've been there before and it's a beautiful thing but when that change happens you don't think you have a new set of ideas uh, you have a new set of motives you have a new set of way you do things and that's slowly happening in my life and another part of it says you'll be amazed before you're halfway through and i'm truly amazed in my life today i find joy in the simplest things i find joy in getting up at 3 30 in the morning and going to work because i have i'm doing it for a purpose you know it's a beautiful thing it really is Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, so Russ was just asking uh, have any family members attended Al-Anon meetings anybody familiar with that I don't, I don't know yeah, it's, it's uh, the sister fellowship to AA that's okay. for, for basically the family side you know because we cause a lot of damage and that's that's people can go there to deal with uh, you know their end of the of what we do basically Oh, okay. Uh, me personally, I've, I've got family that probably should be in Al-Anon. Yeah, Al-Anon. I've, I've attended some Al-Anon meetings, and I did it real quietly in the back just to go and see the pain that we cause as addicts in other people's lives. And it was eye-open. I, I left there. You know, I wasn't crying. They were crying. They were smoking my eyes, but there was definitely it tearing me up to see what we do to families. So, I mean, I highly suggest if you have somebody in there that's trouble that's, has trouble with drugs or alcohol that you get your family members involved in there because what that does is they teach them not to enable us because we're master manipulators and we enable us they can love us to death literally but thank God my family had tough luck they didn't need alcohol they, 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 they didn't need Alan on they they just cut me off. And thank God for it, because if I'd have had one more couch to stay on, if I'd have had one more scheme to come up with twenty dollars, I may not be sitting here today. It took me hitting that rock bottom, and like you said, it was the last house on the block. You know, it was recovery it was was calling up recovery. I went through recovery works this time, and then it, it it gave me a place to sit down for thirty days and look at my life, man, and what what I what had gotten me there. And then the, I took it a step further. I went into the IOP classes, so I much as possible about this disease because I'm battling a fight. This is a war, you know, and I look at it that way. And today I choose to stay on the front lines for somebody else that's coming up behind me that may be in the same situation. And I have to be properly armed with the facts in order to be of maximum service to others. Yeah, it's it's a hell of a fight for sure, man, you know. Um, now, you mentioned uh, religion and, you know, 
the 12 steps or, you know, something you might attach to or, or whatever. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on like, like spiritual, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess just getting into like Ibogaine, DMT, total brain reset, you know, I, the whole thing just sounds very appealing, but it's just not that easy. You know, you got to go to Central America or Mexico or, you know what I mean? Like to, to get some of this stuff, you know, and see a shaman and all this, um, unless you know the right guy, which, but, uh, I mean, for me, you know, I, I stay away from majority religions. I do have a faith that I follow, but it's not, you know, necessarily aligned with any like recognized religion or anything. There's no like rules that I have to follow necessarily. I just do what I do to practice what I practice. And it's it's really more spiritual. And, and I think that the, the route that you mentioned, you know, it's great for, for people that I could work for. Um, for, for me personally, I wouldn't want to try it. Just I know people that have even in, fellowship that I'm in uh, and it worked for them, but I don't think it would work for me, you know, cause I think my motive might be, you know, I I've heard some, some fun, cool stories about what people do on, on DMT and ayahuasca and stuff like that. And for me, you know, I know that if I ever tried it, my motive would probably be to, to have some fun, but like spirituality has honestly, like in my experience, so many more routes than majority religions have. Because, uh, you know, spirituality could be like talking to my wall once a day about like a bunch of shit and like maybe I'm praying to my fucking wall or like, you know, it could literally be something that simple. And, and like sometimes it is for me, you know, it's just really accepting that I'm not it. Like I'm not the biggest thing. Like I'm just part of everything. And it makes it easier because then I can just be here. I don't have to like micromanage the entire world around me because that's like my biggest struggle now like in long-term sobriety like i said you know i don't think about drinking or getting high anymore but my biggest thing is like i one of my biggest ticks before i got sober that i found in sobriety was like i always want to fix and push everything around me to be exactly the way that it should be in my opinion and that was drove me to picking up so many times because you know people don't listen to me I'm not qualified to give anybody life advice. So, you know, I tell someone what to do. They're just like, dude, fuck off a lot of the time. So like, you know, admitting that I don't have to be that top dog. That's that spirituality for me, you know? And each one of for me in my program, each one of my 12 steps has a spiritual principle that's connected to it. Honesty, faith, uh, willingness, open-mindedness. All these steps, brotherly love, all these steps have a spiritual principle in base. So I get the same effect, and this is just me. I get the same effect from meditation and talking to the God of, well, let's be honest, my misunderstanding at times, uh, just like anybody would from ayahuasca, I meditate till I get to that level. Uh, I, I'm a supporter. Hey, if, if you go take a magical uh, button of peyote or something and have that spiritual experience, great, go for it. But I'm like, Eric, I'll probably do it with bad intention. I'll, I'll want the high from it. And that's what I have to be conscious of because I can release this demon all over again. And I call it a demon just loosely, but I have it arrested right now. It's in a cage. Why would I want to risk that? You know, I'm not going to go shake that cage and, you know, start trying to pick the lock. I'm going to leave it there in the cage. 
But I, me personally, and this is just on a personal level, I support it. Uh, I've done a lot of research into it. Bill Wilson, which is a founder of one of our programs, he he, he did do some uh, experimenting with those kind of things. And I believe that it helped off his spiritual journey. Absolute. But for me, I have to look like Eric. My motives, what am I doing it for? If I'm doing it for spiritual experience under a shamanistic setting, then that would be just like taking a prescription from a doctor. As long mm-hmm. as I prescribe, I don't believe it's an addiction. That's just my personal belief that doesn't come from the book. So I got a caution on that. But I highly support it. I support anything that anybody's doing to better themselves spiritually, physically, or mentally. Yeah, I agree. I'd probably do this bad attention also. Yeah. I never thought I yeah, I never thought about it that way as, you know, hey, let's go get fucked up, you know? But uh I, I was watching uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopia. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, where he gets in depth into all these drugs and everything. You know, which, heard of it? I haven't seen it. Yeah, the the scientific. You know, he breaks it down molecules and uh, everything from licking toads to mushrooms to ibogaine to you know everything, whatever. And and one of the recent episodes I watched, you know, and I've seen a lot of stuff on it about people going. You know, uh, ayahuasca, ibogaine, DMT, and all that stuff. Um, maybe as like a, a last resort, you know, like nothing else worked for them. So they're going to go try this spiritual reset. Yeah. You know, the research I've seen on it is 90% of the time, those people have amazing uh, results. Mm-hmm. So, knock it. I haven't done it. So, I mean, have I have I experimented with LSD and things? Sure, but I was doing it with the the get high right. intent, not the right. spiritual. And ayahuasca is something totally different. That's they call it the God molecule. So, hey man, if they're getting in touch with God that way, more power to them. That's my yeah. opinion. And actually, ayahuasca in particular, you know, I I had a couple friends before I got sober. You know, they they managed to get some smuggled in to New York, and um, <laughs> they. The other two guys who took it, you know, they had that reaction. Both of them immediately following, you know, one of them, he moved out west and now he's like owns a business and like he's married. He's got two kids and his life's amazing. The other one is local and he's making a living for himself. He's got a kid. He's married. And like he both of them just fixed their life like within days of the when they did it. And then there's me who I took like the smallest dose. I did not have anywhere near the experience they had, but. I just saw, you know, some vibrant stuff and thought I felt really good. And then I wanted to go do something else. I, I didn't. <laughs> I kept fucking up my life for two more years before I got sober. I think but, the biggest you know, works that, for a lot of people. The biggest thing that I heard out of this podcast was what Eric said when he said that the God aspect, when he realized that he isn't God, I can't, I'm not my own personal God. I'm not my sponsor anymore. That's, that's when I heard the pot. That's when my head come out of my own butt is when I realized I'm not the all. When I try to fix and manage and place things into my life and try to run everybody's life, it puts me in collisions with others. And that's when things go to shit because obviously I wasn't a very good uh, – I didn't control my life in the best way, so what, what right do I have to control anybody else? But when I realized that I'm not God, that I'm not running the show, that there is something out there. And I can talk to it, and I can work through it, and it can work through me. That that's that's when I have a spiritual experience that's leading up to a spiritual awakening. And I think once you have a spiritual awakening, 
then you become an asset to others. Not a lie. Yeah, and that's like, for me, the biggest thing with my recovery is, you know, like I said before, being an asset to others. Like I, I have friends even that aren't in recovery who like, I had a friend who's having a, a struggle right now because of some, some unexpected bills. And she called me the other night and she's like, talk to me about it. And she's like, I'm the worst with money. But she knew that I'd be able to pull her out of the anxiety side and that I'd be able to pull her out of like, you know, doing anything stupid over it. And same thing with the people I have in recovery. You know, I, I everybody in my life knows now, as opposed to nobody wanting to even talk to me seven and a half years ago. You know, now people know that they could call me at 2 a.m. And if they call a second time, I'm getting out of bed and I'm answering. I'll stay on the phone with them for two hours. You know, I don't give a shit. If it means I can help someone, you know, and, and you know, you mentioned the spiritual awakening and, and you know, it's, it's, it's insane to me. You know, when I got sober, I was, I didn't graduate high school on time. I, I was still in high school when I got sober at 20 years old. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I had had a couple jobs and they fired me within a month or two because I was just getting high in the bathroom, breaking everything I was supposed to be assembling. Um, all my friends disappeared. My family didn't want to be around me. I wasn't really getting invited. Places. I was the guy that if you saw your daughter hanging out with me, you tell her you're, you're not allowed to hang out with that guy. In fact, you might even go so far as to kick my fucking ass if you saw me near your daughter. Mm -hmm. And now fuck, people trust that the, the, my son's mom, you know, she didn't want me near my son and she has another kid and he was over my house without her the other day, hanging out with my son. You know, and, you know that's, you know, I, I, my, my bosses, you know, they always comment that I'm like one of their best workers and like, you know, I, I go to court sometimes still for my son and the judge is always, you know, compliment. That's not, that's not, that was not the same guy, you know, when I got sober and that's like, for me, that that's, like where I see the spirituality come in, because these are things that I couldn't have done. I didn't do anything special in family court. You know, I, I, I talked to other dads sometimes about family court. And I'm just like, listen, all I did was I listened to the judge and I kept a list of anything that was done wrong. And I just showed up and I didn't make bad decisions. Yeah, we talked about it from that one point. Yeah. Like I didn't do anything special. It just happened. And like, you know, same thing. I'm back in school now. I'm working towards a college degree, which like even in sobriety four, three years ago, I would have told you only schmucks go to college, mm. that it's a rigged system. And now I think it could actually benefit me. And I'm one of the top students in all my classes. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a life. <laughs> yeah. You know. I don't know. I, you know, whole thing there's... about it is, as addicts, we get two lives. You know, we, we had the life as the offense, drugs and alcohol, and then to the recovery side. When you draw on both of those lives, man, I, I believe you can be an asset to anybody, man. And that's what life is worth living again, you know? And it's, it's the simple things. It's the getting up and making my bed in the morning. It's the boss saying good job. Used to forklifts, you know. First week on the job, it's it's the PO saying you're my star pupil, and me looking behind me seeing who's she talking about. <laughs> you know, those are so beautiful, man. That you know, it's just it's amazing. Man. I'm only halfway through the process. So. And Eric, I thank you, man, for blazing the trail, man. 
you give a lot of hope shots out there, and I would greatly appreciate you, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it went that way. You know, I, I between even tonight, you know, I'm glad that we're on the hope a lot right now. Like, because, you know, a lot of time when you hear about addiction, you just hear about the death side and, and you know, all the people that die and go through these horrible systems their whole lives. And, and this is the other side. You know, if we can get out of it, whether it's through like 12 step recovery or smart recovery or just religion or whatever, spirituality, you know, whatever way. Somebody can get out of the, you know, the cycle of addiction. You know, we literally not only get a second chance, but like I read a statistic somewhere years ago. I forget the exact number, but it was like alcoholics and drug addicts. Like we do things so all or nothing that if we can put down the booze and the drugs, like we just excel at like everything. I believe that a hundred percent, man. Uh, the, the mentality, the, the determination, the, you know, I mean, just like, you know, I mean, the focus. Yeah. yeah. I used to walk 20 miles at a time just to get high. Like, imagine yeah. what I could do without getting high. Dude, the hustle to, to figure out where the next shit was coming from was just like, it was a sport, you know, mm-hmm. like. There was a buddy of ours who'd come over and he's like, all right, what's the plan for today? And then we'd brainstorm and come up with some genius shit. And that was that day. And then the next, yeah, I mean, like, oh, good grief. Uh, Russ was saying that uh, it's showing up for work without a hangover and doing a job better than ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, guys, I love y'all. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get up at three thirty in the morning. So, yeah, I'm yeah, an hour. It's that time. Uh, yeah, we hit the hour mark. Um, I appreciate you guys for coming on, doing this again. Um, Eric, thanks for asking to do it. You know, uh, I'm on. I'm all about it. You know, yeah, and, uh, and if. Anybody else in the fixed chat ever wants to do this again for part three, you're more than welcome to join us. Um, if anybody out there is battling with addiction or recovery or uh, mental health or anything along the lines, anything that we discussed tonight, feel free to reach out to myself. And I, I'm sure these other fine gentlemen here would be more than happy to uh talk to you as well if you're looking for an amazing brotherhood and have an ear-to-ear beard this is just one of the many positive things that the club offers and you know we welcome you to join um i think that's about it love you germ thanks for having me yeah yeah, I love all you guys. Um, and before we go, once again, you know the uh, the code REBEL15 will save you 50% at Miami Beer Company for all your Florida-inspired beard oil beard oil addictions. You got to get some uh, some Miami in that in that collection. You know what I'm saying? So make sure you guys go check them out. Um, and. Uh, Everybody who's listening and watching, tuning in, we appreciate all you guys. Love you guys. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.
Love you. Later. Good night, brothers.